Salam everyone, welcome. This is Omar. This is Nura. And we're here with Comrade uh, Faizi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, taking some time out to chat with the Samawar Network. Uh, we're incredibly excited to have you here. I'm, I've been a, I've been a fan of yours since I was a kid. I've known you since I've seen you around since I was a very young child, and have benefited a lot from your work. And so, um, we really wanted to you know get a chance to speak with you today. So I think the the first thing um, we just want to say is introduce yourself, tell us who you are, and a little bit about your story. Salam Omar John, Nura John, and um, actually I'm very happy and honored to be with you guys. I've uh, listened to some of your, uh, I remember actually when I first got the invitation to your Facebook page, and I've listened to some of your uh, (laughs) shows before, and I do appreciate and proud of all the stuff, work that you guys do. And thank you for the kindness. It wasn't not that long ago, I guess, right? Only a few years ago when you were little and I was... (laughs) Just (laughs) a few, just a few, just a few. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I am Comran Faizi, and I live in Bay Area uh, here and uh, grew up in Alameda, California. And um, obviously, Omar John is uh, alluding to my involvement with Afghan soccer. That's how we know each other. Uh, I've been here since 1984 and arrived in August of 84. And within a month or so, I was involved with Afghan soccer. And ever since then, in tournaments and... Just uh, within one month? Uh, yeah, because uh, there was... a. Uh, uh, community college in Alameda, College of Alameda with big soccer fields just open yeah. and nobody was there and a couple of us went there with a ball to kick around and next thing you know another Afghan showed up a day later and you know refugees were coming in. This was early 80s, uh, one at a time and before you knew it we had about 15, 20 guys which grew up to 60 guys and we had every day we couldn't wait to get there at 5 o'clock so we could play soccer and it was all Afghan style, like cobble, you know, and just uh, no rules and 20 aside and <laughs> ball was out, ball was in, high, not, that yeah, was crazy. But it was is, that what, is that what Afghan style is? Yeah, in cobble, when you played on the streets, you know, um, yeah. the ditch on the side, if the ball went into the ditch, it was out. If it went okay. over, it was not. So things like that. We all, we made up the rules as we went along. <laughs> so was it weird to have fields after you were used to the streets? Yeah, most definitely. I don't think I even even had cleats in Afghanistan. Uh, when we left, I was 13. I never had a pair of cleats. Uh, those that had were fortunate. First, there was no soccer store there. You, Lilomi was this place uh, like a flea market in Kabul that people would get most of their stuff. Um, even national team players, some of them were not even that fortunate to have brand new cleats. So how old were you when you got your first pair? Uh, 17 years old, one year into the United States. The first year was still, uh, I was fresh off the boat, so I was playing with uh, <laughs> tennis shoes and slipping and sliding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fresh, what was it? What was it like for you being, you know, coming to the U.S. at 16 and and being Afghan, um, you know, coming to America in the 80s? Uh, was there was even was there even a lot of Afghans around? Like, and what was that like for you coming at that age, that specific age? Um, I guess in a way you could say still being fortunate to be young enough, you know, to be able to adapt right away compared to our parents who some of them struggle till this day. But uh, 
we left when I was 13. We went to Pakistan. Seven, eight months later, we went to, we went to India. And then three years after India, we came to United States. Um, cultural shock, of course, you know, because not to brag or anything, but you guys know in those parts of the world, the students are a lot more smarter and more worldly and uh, involved in world affairs. So you would think, all right, when I come to United States, it's even going to be more so. But now the kids here didn't even care. Some didn't even know where Afghanistan was or why mm. we were there or that the Soviets yeah. had invaded or something. That plus I found uh, American teenagers to be the most <laughs> cruelest people on the planet. Um, I was, you know... I spoke no English, so like everybody else, we would get bullied. Hey, is that the only pair of pants you got, or this, or that? And I had the fears about asking questions in class because I was embarrassed because of my accent on the way I spoke. But, you know, being young, you, you slowly, I mean, uh, you learn faster. I mean, we went through ESL, and aside from hello and thank you and things like that, I didn't even know how to say anything else. But uh, managed, and then by second year of high school, I was able to... Uh, um, to get a hang of things, and then it was normal. But my first year, yeah, um, I experienced the, the whole bullying process. It was, uh, especially in a predominantly 95% white school, it was crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, white schools will do that to anyone, but especially if you if you don't speak English, that sounds like Trump America in the 80s. Like that's... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you would think in the Bay Area, but Alameda has a small town mentality. It's a little island off the, the bay, and... Uh, yeah. I'm not saying it was all bad. I'm just saying going to school, uh, you would have one the main entrance to go through it. And every single jock and, and popular yeah. kid was sitting in that main hall. And the minute you walked in, you were basically, they would look up and down to see what you were wearing and all that. Yeah. And it was just, yeah. Every, uh, Hard Rock Cafe t-shirts were in back then. I didn't even know where to get them. I didn't even know where Hard Rock Cafe was. <laughs> so I saw one in flea market, bought it from an Afghan that said Hard Rock Cafe Alameda. But of course, that's phony because there was no... And of course, <laughs> that be, that became a, uh, the biggest joke. <laughs> like, where the hell did you... Of course, my name is Fuzzy, but it was always Fuzzy, Fuzzy. I mean, I was this, like, but Fuzzy, where'd you find that? And then I don't know if you guys know of Rambo, but Rambo 2 had just come out and I bought that T-shirt from Flea Market. And after that, my whole senior year, my name was Rambo because I had that same T-shirt every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, did, part did of the soccer, Did soccer help, like, equal, like, provide a source of support or comfort then, given, like, how crazy high school was? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, uh, that was... You know, the only thing I would look forward to every day for from school uh, for school to be over after six periods, just run home. By the time I would take the bus and get home, it would be four thirty and get my stuff. Five o'clock, we were at the college and people would start coming in, and that was our definitely our escape. So uh, to be around people that you knew when you were comfortable with. So yeah. And and how did you go from from pickup games and like you know these kind of things to uh, like Afghan soccer becoming a thing to becoming a reality in in the community. How did that start? Well, yeah, we one of the reasons, for instance, we ended up in Alameda was because my uncle was there. So when they picked us up from the airport, when we arrived, we went there and then you look for an apartment and you basically next thing you know, you're an Alameda resident. The same happened to everybody else, whoever was in Fremont or in Hayward. Uh, there was a, a big community in Richmond at the time. 
we found out that there was a soccer team there. People were playing, and in Fremont, and just like Cobble, we used to write, send challenges to each other. I written challenge uh, back in the day, so we started doing that. It was always. This is uh, team so-and-so. We all took a vote and we named our team Chaivar, for instance, in Alameda. Mm-hmm. And then we found out Kobura was in Richmond and there was Afghan club. Uh, first, it was Bamika in Fremont. Uh, Rahmat John Ahmad Zai um, uh, uh, established that team. So uh, and these we were, found out about these teams. Uh, these were all, uh, these names, where did these names come from? These were all, uh, the Kobura was established soccer team in Kabul. Back in the day, in the 70s, and so was Bomika. So some of the gentlemen who established the teams, they basically brought their clubs, in a way, to the United States. So the same with Hindukush, the same with Pomir, Maiwan, all these teams, there was some kind of a connection before. In our, in our group, we just took a vote, uh, and we just picked up a whole bunch of Afghan names, uh, and then everybody said, well, I think there's a Maiwan team in so-and-so place. I think there's a... Ariana here. There was too many Ariana teams. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite name. Uh, I've known ever since I knew, but that's why I named my daughter Ariana. I've always known mm-hmm. that I would name my daughter Ariana, but everybody said there are too many Ariana clubs. <laughs> so we voted on Khaybar, and, and then we started writing challenges to others, inviting them to come or go to Lake Elizabeth in Fremont to play them, things like mm-hmm. that, and that's how it started. <laughs> And how would, okay, so we have Facebook and Twitter. Like, how did you all hear about things back in the day? What did the social network communication look like? Um, basically, everybody had, of course, relatives everywhere. So there was always Raft uh, Ahmad, right, going <laughs> to people's homes. And so when we would come back, uh, when we played in the evenings, everybody talked about it. Just like okay. old Afghan ways of, hey, so-and-so told me they have a team. Oh, I... I was at so-and-so's uh, engagement party, and they asked us if we played soccer in Alameda, and I said yes, and they said, oh, we should have a game, and that's how it started. I mean, pagers came out later on, but no, yeah, at that time, minus pigeons, everything else we used anyway, we could tell. I just remember the funniest story. This is at a tournament in 1994 in Concord. I'm sitting there watching a game, and there were a bunch of girls behind us talking about the names. And one of them, this is, we still talk about this. One of them said, why are all these Afghan teams named after grocery stores? <laughs> because and her wow. friend says, what do you mean? She goes, because everywhere I go, there's Palmyra market, my yeah. one market, and then in the same in the tournament. But we always find it funny when I mean, she doesn't know the history of what it is, but it was funny yeah. because she thought we were named after <laughs> Afghan market. That's amazing. Markets, but, yeah. That's so true, yeah. especially back in the day when Fremont Boulevard had... <laughs> A lot more Afghan stores. They were all named Pamir, my yeah. one, all those things. My one, Pamir, or, you know, yeah, sweets. I mean, you name it, it's all there. And, and yeah. when did when did the, kind of the infrastructure build with, like, organized tournaments? And there was a, I know there was a time where there was a league. Like, I feel like at its peak, you had so many things going on. You had a league, you had tournaments, you had a newsletter. Yeah. You had so many things happening. Like, how did it get to that point? And what was kind of that peak yeah, the the tournaments have started to take place, you know, in the late '85, and then we had a. After that, it kind of became established that uh, every memorial, any three-day weekend was a excuse for the tournament. So uh, Memorial Weekend, it was always at Cal State Hayward Afghan Club would host it, uh, and then Labor Day, it became a conquered thing in September, and then uh, for uh, Christmas, we would go to Los Angeles. 
And that went on for a while. And then the number of teams increased in the Bay Area. Uh, as much as we had the tournaments, I remember one time, uh, this is about 1994, uh, uh, I got a call back then. By then, I think we had pagers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, John Ahmad Zai, you know him, right? Uh, Maki's his dad. Yeah, and yeah. He called and said that he was having a meeting in his house. Uh, I vividly remember this. I don't want this to be a chest thumping session, but I'm going to tell you the history of how it all started. Tell us, yeah. Uh, yeah, it started, uh, we, we went to his house, and I kid you not, there were probably over 100 guys there, wow. all of the soccer players that come. I mean, we were sitting in every nick and cranny of that place to fit everybody in there, all the teams, management of all the teams. And he said that uh, basically the reason for the gathering was that we should establish a league. We instead of, there's too many teams, too many players, and it's uh, it would be a, a waste for us to just wait months and months for these tournaments. This would be yeah. great to have a continuous soccer and gatherings, which was great. Um, some agreed. Uh, one gentleman who shall remain nameless just got up and said, "If I would become a Hindu if you managed." Wow. To- create such a thing because there's no way Afghans can manage this and blah, blah. And, uh, that was it. But uh, so everybody took a responsibility and then they said, let's meet in a month uh, in Concord. Um, and my job was to find out, I took the responsibility how to establish a league and that was it. So everybody went back and said, in one month, we'll meet at Neymar John Jamili's house in Concord. So, okay. So that was that. Uh, I came back since I was uh, helping coach with some youth soccer teams and uh, American teams, uh, Bay Oaks and what have you. Uh, I had some connections with those people, and I just went and asked questions. I said, I have no idea how these girls play in this. It was a girls' team. The coaches didn't know how to even kick the ball, but they were coaches. So they would ask me on the side to come and do corner kicks or, or penalty kicks for the, the the kids when they were running drills. That was my job. Yeah. Uh, but... So they helped me, and then, of course, there was a Mexican coach that later on helped us coach. He told me that you have to have a minimum of eight teams to have a league. You have to go to California Soccer North in San Francisco by Candlestick Park. That's where their offices are, and you have to have bylaws. You have to have officers, a president, a vice president, treasurer, secretary, and all that stuff. Basically, that's these are the requirements. So equipped with that, I went to that meeting a month later. This time, we only had 20 people. In that meeting compared wow. to the, the hundreds from before because uh, we are, not, by nature, we're very pessimistic people, as you all know, and the glass is always half full, uh, half empty or something, you know, negative. We went there, and then everybody who had taken uh, responsibility just uh, had nothing to report. <laughs> it was my, wow. my, my turn, and I said, uh, this is what we need. And then right there, Sadullah Khan Ahmad Zaid said, all right, so we'll assign you as the, what does the secretary do? I said, that's the connection between the teams and the league and, and all that. And stuff. I said, all right, your job is to be the secretary. You've shown yourself to be the uh, the bird dog to go get it. So, just, <laughs> And then since Sadullah Khan was the captain of Afghanistan national team, was the most respected person in that, in that room and all that, we all voted he was the president of the league. And then we, by the laws of the soccer association we had to have two vps and a treasurer ashma taidari was selected as a treasurer and that's how we and then we had subsequent meetings we wrote bylaws everybody approved it and in uh, july of 1995 we started 
at Newark Memorial Junior High School. I think we started wow. our first season with six teams and it went up to all the way to 10 teams for four or five years. We had every Sunday, we had games in uh, Staklal, uh, Afghan Club, Hindu Kush, Khaybar, Hijrat, Kabura, Kabul Club, Watan Club. These were all the teams that we were playing every Sunday. Uh, the good old days. The first week, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm very into sports, 49ers, A's, Warriors, and all that. I'm a stats freak. Uh, if I hear a stat one time, I'll tell you if Jose Canseco hit 42 home runs in 1988. I never forget that stuff. So I was thinking about our league. Okay, so we're playing these games. How do we keep track of things? So uh, I wrote down, I watched the first games. I said, all right, soon the coach won for nothing. So we have to keep track of points because in a league system, whoever has the most points at the end is the champion. And as I jotted that down, I started to make some comments on the paper also. Okay, so Ndukush played Hijrat and they were attacking, they were playing an attacking style and blah, blah. And Ashmat Haidiri scored this goal and Sidiq Farouk did that and all that. And then I was like, so it was an eight and a half by 14 paper. And I, this is all I swear happened in one night at home and I folded in half and it gives me a four page newsletter I said all right so I used uh, soccer terminology free kick I named my newsletter free kick and I made a chart on page two of league standings and page three I had the goal scorers and next thing you know that free kick took a life of its own and became a weekly publication that especially the youngsters left because they could read English it polished my writing abilities as I left to write and everything I would read in the sporting pages of the Chronicle or Sports Illustrated about other sports, I would apply to Afghan soccer here. And that's, that's so how cool. it, I mailed it to the East Coast. I mailed it to Kabul. I mailed it to Germany, to relatives. And for five years, Free Kick was my newsletter. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank and, you. And, and what was... Um... What was the support from the community like? Um, what's it been like over the years, uh, you know, doing this? The the league was wonderful. Uh, uh, the peak of it, like I said, we had 10 teams. And the fact that we were sending the newsletter of the league and the news was getting around, people were uh, in the East Coast. I, I know that they would always... Uh, People actually wrote me checks because in the bottom of the newsletter, it said printed and edited and written by Comrade Faizi. I actually would get $20, $30, $50 checks from some people that, hey, I know this is not cheap. I know you're mailing this from your own pocket. And okay, I did. And none of it was charged to anybody. It was all my own doing, photocopies and everything. Got Kinko's and fold it and mail it because I loved this whole thing and I was single back in the day. <laughs> so... Uh, and yeah, so this uh, tremendous support till this day. Sometimes you hear guys on Facebook write on my page, come run when are you going to bring back free kick. So uh, the support in that sense was great. And the support in terms of community was great. I mean, you remember uh, in order to sustain our league, we all invested in time into youth soccer. And some of those guys that are playing now, uh, you know, Afghan Premier is a good example of it. One of the top Afghan soccer teams. Most of these kids played back in the day, mm -hmm. either for Afghan club or for Alameda or Kabura and stuff. So um, that's how you keep the pipeline going. So until the league folded in 99, 2000, and that's mostly because almost all of us got married within a month apart. Me, Ashmat, Hamid, you name it. Everybody went separate ways and 
And, you know, when the wives come over, then they just say, you know what, soccer can go away. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, coupled, yeah, responsibilities changed. Um, we, I guess we, we couldn't, didn't have the time to invest in it. And slowly everybody grew up, I guess. So. And, and what about like with the tournaments and everything? Like, you know, it's because Afghan soccer has still exist. It's never gone away. And it's, you know, it's still here. It's just in a different form, whereas it's not necessarily leagues. And so how has that support, um, how did that support, well, tra- it, how, how did it look after the leagues and after all those things um, ended? And, and to this it, day, kind of what's that been like? Yeah, it's it did go away for a while, actually. We lost it for a while. And that's my biggest concern. I always use that line. I say, if we lose it this time, this is the end of it. Because back then, uh, the love for soccer was still there. Uh, because for me, you know, my, my kids grew up on a soccer pitch, both my daughter and son. Not mostly because of me, obviously. I would drag them there, and then they got signed up for soccer. And uh, the minute they were five years each, you know, five years old and each. And then that was the story with everybody else. Uh, the guys that brought you or... Prior to you, it was an uncle or a dad or a brother would bring the young one, and that's how it started, right? But now kids kids have good luck taking a kid away from his iPad or iPhone, and they have millions of other opportunities and other sports. They they would rather shoot the basketball like Steph Curry than to go out on the soccer pitch in the sun and get dirty. And they have or we lose kids to. Uh, uh, lacrosse now we lose kids to basketball football swimming you name it and unfortunately some of the recent events that are happening some of them say we just don't want to be around african sports you know not everything has been rosy some of it has been uh, negative and has driven kids out away the support of the families are dwindling now compared to before so when we folded the league up until 2004, soccer just sort of disappeared. And then Musa John Mujadidi was an instrumental in getting a couple of tournaments going. And we had to revive it and allow non-Afghan players to because our quality wasn't there. And then we realized that doesn't help anything with Afghans because you bring a couple of Brazilians, they dominate. And, <laughs> ah. and pe- people were tired of that. So... I was away from the whole thing uh, just in a couple of tournaments here and there. And then in 2007, once again, the same uh, gentlemen who were involved with the league, Saudullah Ahmad Zai and Ramadan, they reached out to me and said, we have a, we've had a meeting in Los Angeles with the old national team players, majority all ex-Afghanistan national team players of 60s and 70s had gone together in Los Angeles, and they had decided that uh, they had to do something uh, because now, you know, Afghanistan was uh, back in 2007, standing on its feet. The national team was being established again, and this their way of help was only that's they played for national team and they wanted to pay back through soccer. So they, they what did they have a, in mind? They created AFSO, Afghan Football Support Organization. So mm-hmm. they all uh, signed off on it and that whatever we would do to help the soccer teams back home and also help the national team. So when they came back to NorCal, they told me I went to one of the meetings and once again rolled up my sleeves and 
dove head first into this and here i am now 2018 along the way we started we revived the uh, soccer tournaments again starting in september of uh, 2007 um, in 2008 uh, we held the first ever afghan youth only soccer tournament uh, was November in Dublin, and I told them that we want to have a tournament, but it's got to have nothing to do with adult teams because, you know, they just take away the focus from everything. It has to be only for kids. And that's what we did. Uh, hundreds of kids played. It was a great day. It was just all about them, not about the adults or the over 35 or the open teams and all that. Nothing. It was just all about kids, boys and girls playing. It was probably one of the best weekends of my life because it was the most amazing thing. Just only Afghan kids. They had the, uh, the biggest blast, especially when we had just started the AFSO TV weekly Monday nights on new TV. And we were brought the, interviewing them, then brought the kids over uh, to interview them. It was great. Uh, the TV became sort of our free kick newsletter. <laughs> So you, yeah. you, so you talked about the youth and like how, um, it's interesting because it's true. Like I'm, I'm thinking about it now when I was a kid, like it was never a choice that I played in Afghan soccer. It was like your uncle's the coach. You're going to Lake Elizabeth, yeah. you know, these days a week and you're playing in Afghan soccer and all my cousins were doing it. The I have cousins that hate soccer, never wanted to play, but they were at every practice cause they had to be there. So that's an yeah. interesting point that you mentioned that. And, um, but one of the things you talked about also was how like, it, it, there, some you, you said there was some non-rosy stuff, and it, and it was like almost to the point where like families and 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 people didn't even want to participate. So, I don't know, you know, tell us a little bit about kind of what 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 was it that Afghans families, parents, or you know the kids wanted to stay away that they didn't want to engage with their own people. Um. <sighs> Well, fights, right? I mean, that drives people. Uh, we had one of the ugliest fights. Again, um, it's a great thing that we didn't have social media back in the day because considering what we see now, the recent fight in the East Coast, would have, this was... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask you about that. But tell us about the yeah, ugliest fight and then yeah, we'll get so into we that. Yeah, we had some fights. Uh, and that kind of put a damper on things and an end to so many things. And also the fact that... Uh, and then we stopped the uh, non-Afghan. It's funny that we're all foreigners here, but we call them foreign players. You know, when we have Afghan tournaments, we say you can only have three foreigners on your team. <laughs> <laughs> and you just basically mean non-Afghan. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of foreigners calling other people foreigners. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, it was there was a... Uh, we're... Uh, the, the, the one thing we have is uh, we don't... We're not gracious losers. I mean... When we lose, when we get, uh, in fact, then one of those Brazilian players that I mentioned was the star of a, a, one of our tournaments. But when it was time to give out awards, we didn't recognize him as an MVP. Wow. We give it, we give it to an Afghan because we said, uh, he's a Brazilian. Why should we do that? We should have to give it to one of our Afghans. These are the things that I have never agreed with. Why do you have, uh, on the team, but when it's award time, you want to recognize an Afghan. So these are the kinds of things that have always irked me, but you know, uh, that I didn't agree with. And then this, uh, it was a Mexican player in Concord. Um, he scored a goal, I believe. I wasn't there for the fight. I was in the other field, but by the time I got there, I could see the crowds and everything that happened. But he apparently made a very rude gesture and pointing to fans and there were Afghan ladies and stuff. And all these Afghans needed was an excuse to beat him anyway because the team was right. losing or whatever. So 
Yeah, this guy was sent to coma. I mean, that's how bad it was. Are so, you serious? Yeah, I mean, uh, he probably would have been the, the dad if Ashmat uh, Haidari had not thrown himself on him to protect him. He wow. got kicked uh, also and everything. So, yeah, that basically ended our tournaments in Concord because nobody was going to give us fields after that in yeah. the city of Concord. Um, is that what established the reputation of, uh, like of like of families being like, oh, this is no longer a family? Like you said, at some point families were excited and then and then that excitement kind of declined. Yeah, uh, there's uh, and it's declining now, but there are a host of reasons and I'll touch yeah. on them all. But in that time, yes. Uh, and, you know, with us, we love to blow things out of proportion as naturally Quite anyway passionate people yeah we Was exaggerate it? numbers yeah if, if, if one of our commanders have 200 people he says i have 10,000 men behind me <laughs> so that's how we are so uh yeah uh, you know afghana they're always fighting afghans are always this and we will never get it right we're that's it all it takes all it takes is uh and spread bad news spreads uh, faster anyway so uh that kind of stop things uh with the league and with the tournament uh, so that's why it was a maybe it was a badly needed, much needed break also, because uh, just like it has hap it's happening now at that time too, we suddenly lost focus of why we were doing this and we got consumed by winning. Mm. Uh, that's what's hurting us now too. Uh, I you know when we read our history books, when we as people we are we we are very secure, very brave, but our actions convey a this humongous amount of inferiority complex or something. I don't know what it is that, uh, that we have to do this. Uh, but anyway, this, those are the puzzling parts of being an Afghan. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, we want to, uh, you know, we're, we're judgmental. I feel we're better than anybody. And any, especially when these non-Afghans would play, we just, he's a Shia, he's a Mexican, he's dead. And that's why we had to beat him up. And it kind of, Ended soccer for a while there. But, like I said, we started AFSO, we brought it back, kids got involved, families got involved. At one time, we had 2,000 registered players playing. Uh, but unfortunately, these numbers are dwindling now because now it's not because of fights or anything. It's just uh, the parental support is not there. I see these parents. I'm still involved with, Afghan, with American sports. I coach youth soccer teams. I see these Afghan parents on time with their umbrella and chair, sitting at an American youth sports uh, soccer game because their kid or son or, or daughter is playing there. Yeah. They pay on time. They're there quietly, away from the coaches, yet the same parent at an Afghan tournament is um, yelling at the kids. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, not paying $40 membership. <laughs> I mean, uh, don't bring him to practice or they just expect you to go pick up the kid and bring the kid back home Uh these are things that cannot be blamed on the managers or coaches of teams anymore. Right now, the... Why, why, the I have a question, though. Why do you think they do that? Why, why do you think that Afghans feel that way, that they can do that? Um, well, you know, we have to see. We always look for the easiest way or the amount of time some of us spend to, to con the system then to earn a honest dollar has always been a thing of conversation amongst people forever, right? I mean, we know that from cheating on social services to anything that we can do, uh, this is one of those things. Take advantage of the, the if we have offered 
to pick up a kid on the way and now they expect the same. All we ask for, for two hours a week, not everything, you drop off your kid, son or daughter, they're going to be amongst their own Afghans. You know, the, the, just the cultural connection that they make there for those two hours, we're not going to teach them soccer in those two hours. They're already playing every day on an American team. And having raised two kids here, I know how much it costs, how much, the amount of money I've spent on my two kids, I haven't spent on myself combined in all these years. Every friggin' year, they have to have a new set of uniforms, <laughs> tournaments that you go to, that you have to pay for meals and hotels and you know, travel expense on top of that. Uh, at least eighteen to two thousand, to two thousand dollars a year on their team membership, and all these things. And all we ask for is forty or fifty dollars, and that's to cover the a tournament fee or the uniforms that we provide for them. And I know some they they any chance uh, they get is oh, Afghans never this, Afghans never learn. We never get better. Uh, as much as their support, there's also a lot of uh, lack of support now, and I don't understand why that is. And, uh, you know, you talk, um, you know, you, you talked about like how competition, we've kind of lost sense of that uh, competition over the years and, or we've, yeah. that's just become priority number one and winning. And I think like, you know, I'd be curious to hear from you about, you know, recently what happened at the tournament, you know, I was actually there at the, at the Virginia tournament and, um, you know, a huge, for those that don't know, like there was a big fight that broke out. Um, it was like all over social media now and people are sharing and posting about the fight, um, between a team from New York and the team from Virginia. So, um, would love to hear kind of your thoughts and your reactions to what happened and kind of what yeah. you're seeing, um, around yeah. it. Well, my thoughts are strictly based on history and of, you know, being involved with these tournaments, being there a few times myself and knowing almost all the people involved on a personal basis. So just because I wasn't there this time around, uh, but I've seen enough and unfortunately I've read everything and, and I'm getting tagged on every post also, but I try to stay out of it because I don't want to get dragged into this ugly uh, battle that's going on on social media, which should not have. Uh, we are basically on life support right now in Afghan soccer. I'm, and I'm telling you, as wow. someone who's been involved since 1984, uh, we have lost focus. I refuse to believe anyone anymore that they, when they say we're doing this for the community, it is not for the community. When we all spend thousands of dollars on players to come from other parts of the world to play in a tournament, it's all about winning. It has nothing... You mean to tell me that in California, in New York, and in uh, Virginia, you don't have enough players to field the team? You know, this whole notion of what has to be a competitive tournament, you know, I don't think anybody in Afghan community has ever said, give me a Brazil-style level soccer. They just want Afghan tournaments. And that's what we give them for years, everywhere. Virginia had a number of teams. They had a weekly league of their own. There's only one team now. New York has had a long history of winning and of good sports teams. Uh, in 2014, all of us went to a tournament in Dubai. A group of uh, our friends hosted a tournament. They put a purse of $50,000 for the winning team. So, of course, everybody was going to go. An excuse to see Dubai and everything. And Hashmat and I went as part of AFSO to 
you know, cover it for our TV show and also see Afghan talent. Brishna was there from New York with their full squad. Virginia was there with, with their full squad. And then there was a team from Holland. Holland won the tournament. Since 2014, every tournament you go to now, teams are basically inviting the same Dutch players from that tournament that they got to know. Well, uh, you get to know them there. You had a good team of your own to participate in a tournament, and the focus was lost. And instead, we're just seeing who can quickly grab those Holland players. I'm not saying anything against the Holland team, but what about the kid in New York who comes to practice every week, but when it's tournament time, he has to sit on the bench because we invited some kid from Holland. I didn't know we did we did that. We like fly yeah. in people just for yeah. the tournament. Yeah, or the same with wow. Virginia. Or I'm not saying that California hasn't done it. We've done it too. Uh, not me personally, but our teams here that I've seen. This is this is where we lost focus of it all. Who funds this? Like, I didn't know there was that much money to, uh, like, in this operation yeah. endeavor. I don't, you know, the funding goes many ways. You can ask okay. friends. Some of the teams have uh, their own businesses. Some people have businessman friends. Okay. It's all, in my opinion, is misguided as uh, the whole notion that it's a, this is why I say my two points that in New York team, there is no justification for the fighting, no matter how horrible the referee or his calls were. And for the Virginia tournament, uh, let's not say this was a community tournament because it's not because we, it's all about winning. Uh, once we stop that and once we come clean and say, yes, we're all winning, at, trying to win at by any means necessary, then we can, we are uh, starting with an honest and clean slate. Until then, it's all uh, one side, uh, he said, and she said, and he said, and she said. The main thing is the focus is lost. It's all become about winning. And uh, unfortunately, and the fact that uh, Omar John has read all the comments. How many times have you seen how many championships so-and-so has won in those comments? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Right? Every yeah. other word is how many cups we've won. I'm like, we have lost the focus. It's not, a, if you're really saying it's about Afghan brotherhood, if you guys are really saying it's all for togetherness and love and all that, which we all started out as. And what saddens me is I love all these guys. Most of them grew up before my eyes. I remember when the same New York guys would come here to play and these kids that are playing now would join with our youth teams to play. You know, uh, yeah. Why, why are, why is the focus all about one? Well, it's interesting because like, and something I didn't realize too, is that like, these guys are all friends. Like they're all, they're all, they all know each other. They're all buddies. They all play together. They've done that. So it's, it's, it's definitely sad to see that it kind of turned into that. But yeah, I think kind of your point about we've lost kind of sight of that community yeah. aspect and, and, why is it important for us to have Afghan soccer? Like, uh, like people can play in leagues. Like, we can watch soccer if we want to go watch it. We can do these things. But, like, why is it necessary for us to have Afghan soccer, to have these tournaments, to have these teams? Oh, the, the benefits have been immense. Uh, on a personal level or a selfishship, whatever you want to call it, the best people have brothers and friends and lifelong friends that I've made is because of the people that I met on the, on, on 
on the fields of Afghan soccer. Some of people that I didn't even like, <laughs> one of my good friends, I always tell him, we, he was in Concord, we were in Alameda, and we hated each other. And yet now we see each other two, three times a week, and of course texting daily, because back then it was just soccer. But the difference, I guess, between my generation and this generation is that we left everything off on the, on the field. And off the field, we would go and hang out and all that. Unfortunately, now, and this is sort of like a, a, an American influence on things, we've become very territorial. We fight mm -hmm. over things that New York is not our, my grandfather's ancestral land. Neither is Virginia. Neither is Tracy, California. Neither is Fremont. That's but so we, funny. We fight over these geographical things. Like I used to hate uh, Concord growing yeah. up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, there's a lot to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, people. This whole New York versus LA, like. Um, I, yeah. I'm, uh, I grew up on Le uh, Detroit Pistons and I love LeBron James. So when like this basketball stuff outside of Afghan soccer happens, I feel like I can't talk to Omar or other Fremontes. Yeah. Um, we do, it does get personal. Like how do we, is there a way we can bring back the ethos of the, of the spirit of what you, it was built on in the eighties and like. And I'm also curious, like for non-Afghans, like what is what makes Afghan soccer different than Mexican soccer in California, or, or like what makes us special in terms, of like what is it that we've built that our generations to come need to know about the importance of like what our communities created here with Afghan soccer? Well, I think uh, the fact that uh, this. Continue, continuity that we had, um, you know, cultural connection that we had, at least for the few hundred of us involved with soccer. That's, uh, um, you, can't, you can't quantify that uh, by any means. The, the connections that we've had, uh, you um, go to a, a wedding now in the Bay Area, and if there are 300 or 600 people there, almost everybody you see, you know, is because you've met them at a soccer field. And that's somehow that's how we, maybe that's another reason the league folded because we all became related to each other through marriages because we met each other on the fields and uh, connections that way and nobody wanted to foul each other, I guess. After <laughs> now the same guy that I wanted to tackle now is my brother or something. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just on a serious note. That it's um, Right now I get together every Tuesday night with the same group of Afghan guys my age and we play in an indoor American league. That's our Tuesday night. That's the one night we all joke about it and say we're all married old men and that's the one night we have a visa to go and do whatever you want to play <laughs> soccer. Then we go with all the calories we burn. Then we go back to this Pakistani place to eat all the rice and masala masala and none. And then we go have chai and laugh and listen to Amazair music. And we were talking about it and say this is it. We're at the end of this thing because as much as our youngsters may enjoy Amazair music, they don't understand the depth of the lyrics like we do. We enjoy the lyrics more than the the music. And it was not, I'm, I'm not to make fun of today's singers, but it's not about Dukhtar Godiwana and Dukhtar Zargar and all that stuff. These were deep lyrics. I mean, you know, from Rumi and Office and Omar Khayyam and all that stuff, but Beidil... And we were, we were we get saddened by that that this we're the the last generation that will do this uh, coupled with in here, 
uh, not in Afghanistan, but coupled with the the fact that we know some of the cultural nuances that we still carry, those in, in the, from Salam Alaikum, Giriftat, or whatever that we do, the little things that we do, the get up for an elder and all that, and <laughs> give your seat up to somebody, things that you have to remind the youngsters all the These are all the little things. These are all positive things that when you're around one another, whether it's at soccer tournament or anything, when we go to our tournaments, there's not a day that you don't get invived, invited 20 times to a cup of tea, shir choy, uh, road, or something that somebody or his wife has brought to the field. You don't get that at a Mexican tournament or an American tournament. These are the little things that we talk about. Every tournament is a picnic going on. Whenever I go to British, to New York, it's never been, uh, whether the, the tournament's in Virginia, in California, or in New York, these guys come in 400 or so deep, and there's digs of Palau and everything, and there's Memo Nawazi to the core, ever since 1996 that I've known them. and That's real, I saw it myself. That? Yeah, yeah. How do you replace that? I mean, there's, uh, there are guys in Brishna that they don't know, uh, I don't know their names, I mean, family members, that they know me mostly because it's just one name to remember, but also we were on TV and stuff, and Bishkabe uh, Palau is ready in the tournament, and I go there right amongst them. I sit there, not because, you know, they're Kandori and I'm not. It had nothing to do with it. They just know I love soccer, and I've known them, and that's all. we all Afghans. Uh, I'm one of them. And that's what uh, you cannot replace anywhere. That's what saddens me to, for us to lose if this thing gets uglier than it did the other day. And that remind. I mean, I, I definitely... It reminds me so much of like my childhood, and I and I and I owe I think Afghan soccer so much to my connection with the community because of uh, because of those tournaments, because of the league. You know, it was like you know Nauru's it was like a mela. Like every game was exactly. like everyone was there. You know, um, picnics, like you said, digs of palau, everything. You know, I remember when we were growing up, like you know the teams would come out. Uh, we would have like you know the, the 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 kids team the 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 boys the girls everybody would come out they would have like the team name and like a big flag like a big banner dressed in all Avian clothes like, the girls yeah. would come in like Avian clothes and like the boys would follow the men's team we would wear like our oversized jerseys from like you know the, our uncles yeah. that were on the team and stuff and so <laughs> it was just like you know and there's like little things that I remember we would do like. We would bow for the, you know, we would like, you know, dakat. We would like bow for the, for the, for the fans beforehand. I was like something like you never see that in like an American soccer or anything like that. And it was like so amazing to like have that connection. And I feel like that, I, I, ha, I you know, I always think about that and reference that when I think about my involvement in the community today. I have so much to uh, of that is due to soccer. Yep, yep, and. Uh that's one of the things uh, thanks for reminding me unfortunately we only do that now in the final matches but I just wrote it down because we have a tournament coming up and you know the whole Juan 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 thing yeah. was a, a, <laughs> our thing and we're not doing that anymore and I just made a note of it that I'm going to make sure that in this tournament whether it's round one or the final the teams once maybe if we shake hands before the game those the tension mm. come maybe we didn't have those tensions before because yeah. now just like any other sport now we all line up the ref blows the whistle and then we start maybe we shouldn't go back to our ways of every game you know have the players shake hands or start on a good note and then yeah they're less uh, <laughs> prone to starting a fight i don't know <laughs> thanks for thanks for the reminder <laughs> but 
but we only do that in the final now, unfortunately, okay. because they, you know the the final match we introduce the. I mean, you can't introduce all the players in every yeah, game, but at yeah. least the handshakes we should definitely do that. Definitely, yes. Um, I wanted to ask also, what about uh, Afghan women? Like, when did things start for girls in terms of soccer? On, on, in like, because I've seen that's actually my, my introduction. Is I know, I've seen some girls involved now in like the tournaments and things in California. So, yeah. when did that start getting going, and how is has there been a difference in terms of support or involvement for? Afghan, like I saw the Afghan women's team play in Palo Alto. I think it was two years ago they came for a friendly. Yeah. That was my first introduction. I think my first time in a soccer game, an Afghan oh. soccer game. So, oh, you um, saw the women's national team back then. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah. So, see, I'm, I'm totally. So, maybe could you share a little more about that? Sure, definitely. I'm a huge proponent and supporter of the. Afghan women's national team, the girls' team, and having you know been a father of a, a girl who, uh, and she was my uh, uh, right hand junior reporter when we were doing the TV also. So uh, of course uh, I have biases, but at the same time I truly am. To me, it's uh, you know I treat them just the same way as the the men's team in terms yeah. of my support for the team. So 2007. Tracy was the first team that had a girls team. They had a uh, the gentleman who was involved there. Of course, he was kicking the ball around with his daughter, and the Afghan girls got together. And there was one family with a bunch of daughters, so they were all good, and they all came, and so they made their team. And uh, so for the 2007 tournament, uh, we had a small gathering for them. I think they played amongst themselves. We couldn't feel the girls team, but in 2008, we did. Um most of the people that Omar John knows are related to, they um, they all played on that team. They made a, an all-star team. Uh, on the final day, we had one game for the girls, uh, Tracy versus an all-star team. And that's basically was the springboard for that. And then uh, every tournament, we had four, at one time, even five girls teams play in Afghan okay. tournaments for us. Uh, and from that, in 2010, when they established the Afghan women's national team in Afghanistan, um, some of the girls were selected to from here to go and join the girls from Afghanistan and played in the SAF, which is the South Asian Football Federation Championships in Bangladesh. Uh, and then a couple of years later in Sri Lanka uh, in 2012, I was fortunate enough to go with six girls from here to Qatar for a friendly with the Afghan national team. That's the first time Afghanistan ever won their game. Uh, wow. We beat Qatar 2-0. Uh, and then uh, a couple of years ago, um, Kelly Lindsay, who was a former U.S. player herself and a superb coach, and Haley Carter, who was, uh, played professionally at Houston, they became coaches with the to, uh, to coach the Afghan national team and Khaleda Popazai, who was very involved with this, uh, putting the girls' team together. So um, they came in 2016 with the team established from players from Europe. It was more of a camp slash, uh, um, you know, the opportunity to see more players uh, yeah. to build the team. But <clears throat> unfortunately, like anything else, female related in Afghanistan. They face nothing but obstacles and challenges. Um, the people only see when the girls go into a tournament, and as soon as they lose, 
put the put the game away. You know, ban the team, disband, dismantle this team. Uh, oh, wow. They're an embarrassment because they're losing five nothing, ten nothing, whatever. Um, they have no idea how the team was built, who was supporting it, but they but they can write books about why one girl was wearing shorts and her kneecaps were showing or why. That's uh, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the One of the administrators of the national cricket team of Afghanistan, the man is a director or whatever, had taken a picture of one of the players from Jordan recently. On his Facebook page, he had, with a black Sharpie, he had covered her face and her knees and said that this is not why a Muslim woman should be playing. And this was his focus. And yet he can get away with it, even though he's a top administrator in uh, Afghan Cricket Federation. Uh, so this is what they're dealing with today. His number yeah. one priority was that this 16-year-old girl born and raised in the United States who goes to play for her motherland, uh, she's... Uh, this is the way he wants, right? Like, yeah. it's not... That's like his men definition. can have the comfort on the field, but then when it comes to women, yeah. suddenly... As, yeah. Yeah. So those are the challenges. Unfortunately, yeah. we've had, uh, we had, like I said, up until one time of five teams, then we became four teams, three teams. And this last tournament, we couldn't even field three teams for the girls because okay. some of the parents have also, uh, it's, people are uh, at the crossroads here. I, I don't know. They, uh, on one hand, they claim that they want the, uh, the girls to, to play on another hand and some other distant relative uh, claims, oh, the girls should not be playing, uh, these boys are not good, and this and that. It's unfortunate. These girls can be in school. They have no idea who they're talking to in school. They could be in college. They have no idea. They're at work. They have no idea. Yet, for a soccer game, oh, suddenly all Afghan boys that are at the tournament playing, they're all predators, all the men are predators, all the coaches. That's the kind of feeling from some. That's why the numbers of girls are dwindling, even though they are great. We have had some amazing, talented players who have stopped playing because of the lack of support for them. Right. And even in the United States. And that's the hardest pill to swallow. Yeah. And I think this conversation is vital for that reason. Like we, our culture is alive. Our culture is shifting and we need to, my biggest regret was not, I played basketball and I stopped in high school and to me, what's kept my brain going is being involved in some sort of sport or activity or community. And, and I got back into like sports in graduate school after a long period of break. And I'm, and now I'm thinking, what if I had soccer? What if I had something like that? You keep up. That's the stuff that builds a girl's self-esteem because it's not like American society is any kinder to girls in high school or, or yeah. college. Right. And so we need that space and that comfort. So yeah. I yeah. guess it's a challenge to us if we can, if we can change that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, you know, I'm the second of uh, three boys, and then when my sister was the youngest, I had an older brother it was me, younger brother, and my sister. Uh, my father passed away a couple of years ago, and when I was speaking at his uh, funeral, one of the things that I had to mention was uh, about my sister, who's probably the strongest amongst all of us. Uh, definitely more successful than the boys. And carbon copy of my dad, when I call when I come when it comes to um, being strong-minded and, and what have you, is because my father at no point ever made her feel like she was any less than the three boys. Yeah. And uh, and I credit that to him. His whole thing was learn, 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 mm-hmm. learn. And uh, and at no point uh, my sister Wida was, uh, you know, um, 
shortchanged compared to the boys. If anything, she was his favorite. But main thing is that the, that's the only way because he treated us all equally, not because yeah. she was any less. Yeah. And I know of stories of uh, family members who, when their daughter was born, they didn't even want to go to the hospital because they expected a boy. So uh, that's our culture, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for for sharing that. I mean, I think that's a really awesome uh, story. And it's, you know, hopefully we grow. I think, like, I'm hoping that, like, women's sports grows in, in our in our community. We kind of, I'm, like, I'm thinking about my sister, like, some of the conversations she had with my dad about him not letting her play sports was like she she held on to that for into her adulthood you know like those stick with with people so um Nura what you were saying kind of resonated with that and it's kind of my experience as well um and as oh, yeah, we, you don't realize how much it, I'm sorry to cut you off no, I'm no, learning no. that from my own kids sometimes as a dad you think you're joking you're just you know like your own dad you at times I think am I becoming my own dad but you just Hey, you make a joke about it, but later on they bring it up. They say, oh, "We didn't take me seriously," so you don't realize how much it affects everything we yeah. do. Affects the kids. Yeah. So you have to constantly watch it. Yeah. So, so we're gonna wrap up. Um, we're about like one minute left, but before we leave, we definitely want to make sure we we get your take on the World Cup. You know, today. Yeah, we can't end without talking yeah, about today. By the time, well, I guess by the time we kind of release this, uh, the final will probably probably have happened. But so we have Croatia and France. What are your What are your thoughts? What's your prediction on the, on the final? First of all, is this the best World Cup ever? Number one. Number two. Um, if you're a French fan, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. And there's been a lot of talk that this is like the best World Cup ever. So I'm I'm curious to know from someone who's, who's seen a few World Cups. And then, um, yeah. in terms of like, well, who, it's too bad. It's think? too bad. We don't have enough time, but I have the greatest world cup story, <laughs> but, uh, 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 but I'll say it anyway. So, uh, the, as far as the world cup, depending on who's saying, right. Like Nora said, if you're the fan of France or France or Croatia, but I guess the reason people are saying it's the best world cup, because if you read my Facebook predictions, everything I've predicted has been wrong <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you normally mm-hmm. generally, and you know, of course, predictably say if, Germany should beat Mexico or Germany should make it to the second round. I mean, defending champion and all that, but or Argentina shouldn't go home so fast or Brazil shouldn't lose to uh, Belgium and all. Well, everything's just been turned upside down. But what's not surprising me, and I'm not bragging about this, is just that when you watch soccer as much as I do and the ones that are not surprised by it are the ones that watch it so much. They see that these are players, these players that may be on Croatia, but they're playing on the biggest clubs. The best. Uh, right, I mean, Modric is on Real Madrid, the best, cl- one of the best clubs in the world. The Rakitic is on uh, Barcelona. You got the goal-winning goal scorer today, Mantusic, is playing at uh, Bayern Munich. I mean, at the Juventus. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are. The world is a lot smaller because of technology, because of the internet. So, if a scout from an English team would not go to a different part of the world before, now they can see some of those games. Yeah. We can actually we actually live stream some of our own games. Imagine an African soccer league being live streamed. So of course, a uh, uh, Croatian league game is on TV, so they can see that. And you, see, you know what? That number ten is looking great. So he doesn't have to go to Croatia to see him. Um, he gets uh, scouting reports online and all that stuff. An instant, hey, who scored? Who had how many touches on the ball and things like that? So they can bring him for a tryout that way. Um, so that's why you'll see some of the these crazy signings and you wonder how did they know about this kid in Cameroon that PSG signed but well 
like I said, the world is a lot smaller than before. Yeah. So they, they have easy access to footage and the stats. And that sense is not surprising. But at the same time, the rest of the world is catching up. The, what makes this World Cup truly a World Cup is because, yeah, everybody had a chance. I mean, Iran was given Spain and Portugal a hard time. Who would have thunk it? Like, you, I mean, Spain or Portugal. Or Iran could have beaten Portugal. They just hit the side of the net instead of into the net. So um, in that sense, yeah, it's been great. So if I see France, Croatia is going to win because of the lack <laughs> If I see Croatia... France. Yeah, yeah. But... Part of me uh, wants, when, when, in December, when the draw happened, I picked six teams. I said, six out of 32 is going to win. I mean, that's, that's it. there's no way other way. Argentina, Brazil, Belgium, France, um, Germany. Uh, it's going to be one of the, one of these is going to be the winner. I, well, France is one left, but I think I want Go Croatia to win. Yeah, I want Croatia to win. It'll be awesome for a small country of four million to win and just shock the world it'll be amazing mm. so i'm rooting for croatia on they have Sunday. a great team they have an amazing team yeah yeah I grew but up uh, my story of the world cup if i have time i'll tell you yeah let's, let's end with that yeah go ahead go ahead, go ahead in afghanistan there was no television in the 70s of course and when it came out in late 80s 70s uh we hadn't bought a tv yet and Haikhana is where I grew up, and they had put a. They used to put the government would put these televisions out on the uh, side of government buildings, and then hundreds of people would just gather to look. I mean, it was behind the window, so you could not even hear anything. But it was soccer. The first time I ever saw soccer on TV was Argentina Holland in the final of '78. I was 10 years wow. old. Argentina had their blue and white shirts, and Holland in orange. Argentina looked more Afghan because they were. <laughs> you know, long 70s, so long black hair versus the blonde. <laughs> so I went with Argentina. They look like us, and I like the blue and white over the um, orange of Holland. And ever since then, uh, I've become the biggest fan of Argentina. I've followed them since then. In two, and it was the World Cup was in Argentina in 78. They won it. They were champions then. In 1986, I was in the U.S., the day I graduated from high school, the next day was the final of the World Cup, and they won it. So I thought that was my graduation gift. And, and since then, for, I've waited 32 years, and they have not won since. So <laughs> every World Cup, I have go through a heartbreak because Argentina goes home. And married, being married to a Colombian who, and all of Latin America, they hate Argentinians because they're too pompous and snotty. And uh, my That's Colombian so in-laws, and especially wife, cannot believe that do you show yes. up with your jersey at their at, uh, at their house? Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. They call me a traitor, and she cannot believe that I like the most despised team in all of South America, <laughs> uh, because they were the only country in South America that completely wiped out all the indigenous people. They're all immigrants of uh, Germany and Italy, so they think of themselves as European, not Latinos. So they that's why they're so snotty. <laughs> they say when God, when there's lightning outside, Argentinians come out because they think God's taking their pictures. So. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> this explains why they look different than Brazil. Brazil's yeah, characters. yeah. If you ever get a chance to go to Buenos Aires, which I highly recommend, I actually went in 2006 for a soccer pilgrimage. Sat there in the same stadium that they won, and I was crying. And my brother's like, "What are you doing?" I said. Can you imagine in Kabul as a 10-year-old standing amongst all these, getting pushed around amongst all these men trying to watch the game? And now I'm sitting on Buenos Aires in the same stadium. Wow. Yeah. 
and that was the goal where Mario Campos scored the winning goal against Holland and stuff. He's just like shaking his head. He's like, whatever, just <laughs> live your moment so we can leave. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's uh, my whole life has been just soccer. And that's all there's to it. And like I said, I live my life in four year increments. <laughs> I'm already dreading Monday morning when the World Cup's over. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us and sharing that thank passion so with much. us. I think for thank me, you. having not grown up with Afghan soccer, your insight has like made me realize what I missed out on. And hopefully, you know, I can push my nieces and, and things that live in the Bay to get into it. They're only three years old. Definitely. And for Omar, he's been talking about you for ages. So I feel like your celebrity crush, like, like having that <laughs> oh, opportunity. <laughs> No, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Omar, and everybody his age at the time. Like I said, they made free kick fun for me to write because they were the <laughs> first group that would come to grab it because they could read it and understand it. And uh, yeah, so it was it was for them. And no, don't lose hope. You haven't missed anything. A couple of years from now, your kids, your your nieces will start kicking the ball, and then you can come and see. I'm hoping that you know, just like Hashmat and Musa and me and Abad and Shujah, everybody else and carried on, grabbed the torch from Sadullah Khan and them. There's another group of people that we can pass the torch to and then we can sit on the sidelines and watch them continue this because we have a good thing going here. It's going to its roller coaster stages and now it's coming down, but I mean, it's going up slowly, but it'll be perfect again. Um, yeah. So as long as we just lose uh, this whole passion for winning and just focus back on bring it back to community, then we'll be fine. Okay. Well, thank you again. You're welcome, guys. So thank you so much. Um, but I hope I didn't speak too much. But.